Hello, welcome back to Unwatchable. My name is Chloe Rodriguez. I am your host. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you guys like Unwatchable, you want to hear more, please be sure to leave a five-star review. Uh, Give me some feedback, some comments. Let me know what you guys like, what you don't like, and uh, be sure to check out our Instagram page, at Unwatchable with Chloe Rodriguez. That would really help me out a lot, you guys, because I'd love to see who's tuning in on a weekly basis and get to know you guys a little bit more. So thanks for letting me do that little uh, shameless self-promotion. But let's hop right into it. Today, we are going to be talking about movie adaptations for some of our favorite musicals. I'm going to be talking to a super talented singer and songwriter. Her name is Leah Farrington. She is so incredibly sweet. She has a great voice. I was so lucky to get to sit down and talk to her. I'm a musical theater nerd. It's always so fun when I get to talk to someone else who has that same passion that I do. And she had some great insights into these movies and ultimately how they were able to take these musicals from stage to screen. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. And without further ado, let me uh, introduce you guys to Leah Farrington. All right, you ready to get into it? Yes, yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on, Leah. Hi, yes, thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you today. I thought you would be the perfect guest for this because <laughs> as I as I said in your introduction, you are an amazingly talented singer. Oh, thank you. And you have a background in in some musical theater. Oh, yes, actually, yeah, that's actually how I really started getting into singing seriously. I did um, several, several musical theater productions, probably, um, probably 30, about 30, um, you know, since I was, yeah, since I was in late elementary school is when I started really doing them, and I've done classical choir and things like that, so absolutely, it was definitely one of my first loves. I was always writing music, too, but... I was all about theater, all about music. That makes me so happy because I did musicals for like all through elementary school, junior high and high school. I miss it so much. And I like, I haven't done a musical in years, but I'm like a musical theater nerd at heart. I'm I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I was just thinking that same thing too. Like actually right before we started this conversation, I was thinking that I've been wanting to audition for a musical again because <laughs> I haven't done one in years as well. The last one I did was um, Spring Awakening and that was several years ago. And then I thought, oh my gosh, when, when are we going to have any theater auditions again? <laughs> what would you say is your favorite musical that you've done wow that you know that's a difficult question I mean Spring Awakening was definitely very special because it was a very small cast it was my first year in LA and it was just the first you know friendship bonds that I made moving to LA because I'm from New Jersey originally um Mm -hmm. so I mean Spring Awakening is definitely up there um wow that is so hard to choose um I also, I did Seussical. I did Seussical and that one was amazing mm-hmm. as well. So I would say Seussical, 
Spring Awakening, and um, I also did The Producers, which I loved as well. So now that you're not doing as much musical theater, I know you're focusing a lot more on your singing and songwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what kind of style would you say you're, you're focusing more on now? Um, I would say that I kind of make alternative R&B music. So, I mean, my voice is very at home with R&B. I have sang in rock bands and things like that. Um, but yeah, definitely kind of like a darker R&B, very much like maybe in the vein of uh, Black or The Weeknd, that sort of thing. It's funny, mm-hmm. I've actually been writing songs and just some of the lyrical content, I was like, all right, I've been listening to too much Drake lately, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just with like like confidence but sensitive so yeah I would say alternative R&B is where we're at at the moment so Mm -hmm. yeah you guys should definitely check out Leah's music I know like uh, this is gonna sound mean uh, not mean okay this I feel like usually you meet people in LA who are like oh you need to check out my stuff like this is my like my singles coming out you guys need to check it out or I'm doing this show or I'm doing this. And everyone in LA is like always promoting their stuff. Mm-hmm. And usually I'm very like skeptical because mm, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. Like another person in LA who's telling me to check out their their shit or whatever. Like, how am I going to pretend that I like it this time? Oh um, no. Oh, I know with, that feeling. <laughs> and with you, like I, you didn't like ask me to listen to your stuff. I just knew that you had music out there. And I listened to it. I listened to your single, um, I Am The One. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my god, this is so good. And like, you made a fan. I love your voice. I think you're so talented. Oh, um, thank And it was you. great because then I could come in to work and... Uh, and talk to you about it and not have to bullshit you <laughs> and be like, I genuinely really enjoyed it. Um, it how, how do people uh, find your, your music? Where can they um, my mu- My music's available on all streaming platforms. Um, my name's Leah Farrington. Um, all of my social media has my links as well, um, which is just my name, Leah Farrington. So if you use Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, I'm actually going to be releasing some new music with some visuals this time. So that'll be on YouTube um, and Instagram as well. So just my name, Leah Farrington, on your favorite streaming platform. I am on Tidal as well. Um, you can dance to my songs on TikTok if you would like. <laughs> I I would love that. I would live for it. So yeah, it's just anywhere, anywhere that you can listen to music, you can listen to mine. So and thank you so much, Chloe, for that very kind compliment. I really appreciate that. I always love the positive feedback. Oh yeah, no problem. So today you and I are talking about movie adaptations for some of our favorite musicals. And while we were coming up with a list for what to talk about, we realized that there was so much that we hadn't even thought of. Um, So you'll definitely have to come back and do a part two, maybe Uh even a part three, because like- Oh my gosh, right? (laughs) There's so many for us to cover. Um, But I thought it would be nice for us to start off with Grease because I feel like this is one of the most popular musical adaptation movies. Um, Certainly one that like people of all ages talk about. It came out in 1978 and was directed by Randall Kleiser. 
it's based off of the musical um, with music, lyrics, and the book written by Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey. This is like a monumental movie for a lot of Yes, people. yes, definitely. I- iconic. And like the cast, too. I mean, everyone yes. talks about Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, this is like basically, I would say this is like, if if not one of, it's like the most popular role that John Travolta's had. I oh, think it's for like sure. What he's most known for, pretty much. Absolutely. Like, when I think of John Travolta, I think of Danny Zuko, for sure. Yeah, I picture him in, like, the leather jacket with the slicked hair. (laughs) Absolutely. So when we were looking at these movies, we kind of wanted to focus on how they pay tribute to the actual staged production of the musical. Um, Not just if we like the movie overall, but is it showing respect to where it came from? Is it giving you the like is it giving musical theater the respect it deserves is it uh giving you the full experience of the show and we also wanted to look at if this was even a necessary adaptation to make um (laughs) because as we'll see when we go through some of these other movies sometimes it just doesn't feel like you're getting uh, as much from the movie as you could get from just going to see it yeah, absolutely, absolutely. What are your initial thoughts on Greece as a film? So my initial thoughts on Greece as a film is I think that this was a really important movie. I think this was a really important movie. Like I've said, you've said this is iconic. Most people who don't even really most people who aren't even into musicals like that can kind of can kind of get down with Grease, I think. I, mm-hmm. I honestly think like if you were to ask somebody who doesn't have a musical theater background, you know, about Greece, like, I I think, like, I mean, I, I can't use a broad brush, I can't say everybody, but I think, like, most people kind of fuck with Greece. As I've said, it was one of my first exposures to musicals, and that was, you know, you know, more than, more than 20 years out from when the movie came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and it's actually, it wasn't even until years later when I actually was in a stage production of Greece that I realized that, um, and as movies, as movies do, because, you know, we only have a certain runtime for movies, but uh, that some really good songs were cut out for the yes. movie. So, because I actually, I was cast as Marty, which I was like, you know, it was just, it was like a, just a fun summer production. I wasn't really worried about having a lead or anything like that in that production. Mm-hmm. But I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like no solo, but then... Marty has a really dope solo and like Freddie, Freddie, my love, which is awesome, where she's just basically talking about all her side dudes. Um, <laughs> so I mean that and, but at the same time for Greece as a film, I thought it was amazing. I think it's one of those things. It is always kind of like a running joke that, I mean, maybe Olivia and John a little bit, but, um, the rest of them, those are not high schoolers. They're playing oh, high yeah. schoolers. Those are not high schoolers. Like they were they were not having to deal with any child labor laws that day. They were not. But uh, yeah, no no onset tutors were needed for right? this movie. That is for sure. <laughs> I I did see that's actually it's actually really funny because I knew we were gonna be talking about this. I saw it was actually <laughs> I, I don't wanna say it was a meme because it wasn't a joke, but it was a close up on 
one of one of Danny's friends, I think it was one that didn't really have many lines, and they were like, you're telling me that I have to believe that this guy was in high school? And it was like just a close-up on one of the guys from the, uh, tell me more, tell me more, from that scene. And he looks oh, like yeah, he's yeah. 45. <laughs> yeah, I think they do cut out a lot from the musical, um... Like, I love Freddie, My Love. I think that's such a great song. Mm-hmm. They cut out um, Mooning. They cut out, like, an entire mm-hmm. character, pretty much. Like, usually Roger is in the stage Oh, yeah, shows. yeah. He's not really in the movie. He They, like, j- basically just took him out. Um, but they also replaced that with uh, Hopelessly Devoted to You and You're the One That I Want, which are both, like, really good songs that I've actually seen get incorporated into modern productions of the staged show. Yeah. Just because they yes. were so popular from the movie. So it's very interesting to me that like the the original songs from the movie were so beloved that a lot <laughs> of staged versions of the show that have come out since have decided to incorporate those songs because they're like, oh, people are gonna miss them now. Uh, especially you're the one that I want. That's yeah, like, yeah, for so sure. Popular. <laughs> that's the song from Greece, and that's I. You know what? And that's actually funny because I have only seen, I guess, more modern stage versions of Greece. I, you know, haven't really watched the 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 original because mm-hmm. um, the the production that I did, which was you know in the like like 2008 something like that. Um, I did, I did notice, and we were, they, they didn't have Hopelessly Devoted. They had It's Raining on Prom Night, the song mm-hmm. that she sings with the radio, which I think is a good song. I do think Hopelessly Devoted is a better song, so that choice yeah. was, was a good one. But, uh, yeah, we did You're the One That I Want. Anytime I've ever seen Grease, whether it be a high school or a community production, it always has You're the One That I Want. Yeah, it's so funny. Always. And that's, <laughs> that is like the Grease song. I feel like, and that's actually crazy to me. I, I think uh, a recent tendency of movie adaptations is to kind of focus more on the names of the stars mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and the celebrities' status than maybe who is correct for the role or who has a theatrical background. Um, so it is interesting that you bring up the casting just being <laughs> so old. Um when I'm looking at the cast list for Greece, uh, John Travolta, Olivia Newton-John, Stockard Channing, Eve Arden, Frankie Avalon, um, I do think that a lot of these people fit their roles pretty well, mm-hmm. despite their age. Obviously. I agree. I agree. Uh, I was just listening to the the music from the movie this morning. And Stalker Channing does such a good job with There Are Worse Things I Could Do. Yes. I think that this movie does a really good job of taking a musical and really focusing on the music. I do think that they do a really good job with their performances. And I I do think that this was made with a level of respect for the original material. Because everyone that they cast seems to fit their part really well. Um, and even though they did cut out some of the original material, I think what they put in was really good and was done like in the right style because Mm -hmm. like, like we said, when we're looking at the, the songs that they put in, 
they seem to fit so well that like a lot of people are using them in their productions. Exactly. So they, exactly. So they obviously cared enough to like make music that fit in. I think like sometimes if you watch a movie, like okay, let's talk about <laughs> let's look at Cats for a second, which we don't need to go <laughs> into. But Cats, um, Cats had a song put into its uh, movie. That was obviously there just to try to get the, like, Best Original Song Oscar. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, And when it came up, when I was watching the movie, I was like, this doesn't sound like any of the other songs. Like, this doesn't sound like it needs to be here. It was very obvious that it was, like, not done, like, in the correct style for the musical. Mm -hmm. And I think Grease doesn't have that flaw. I think that they tried to make songs that were correct for the musical. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And actually you saying that reminded me of the fact, I believe like in Grease Live, Carly Rae Jepsen played um, Frenchie and they added some very random, very, very, very modern sounding song in the Grease Live production. Mm -hmm. And I know it was because it was Carly Rae Jepsen and they wanted her to have a song, but I was like, this didn't, this didn't work. It didn't fit. But I agree that Grease definitely was respectful to musical theater and you know everybody that was in it was a great singer like you said they fit their roles yeah you know we talk about the age thing that's a little bit funny that's not something I noticed though when I first saw the movie as a kid and I think that that's Mm -hmm. when most I think that's when most people first see that movie so I think there are some theater purists out there who are like Uh I I want it just as it was but I, I think there is something to be said for a movie that exposes people to something that they might not know that much about. And exactly. for some people, Grease might be the perfect introduction to the musical theater world. Uh, so I, I am happy that they adapted it. I totally agree. I totally agree. I think I think that you really hit the nail on the head with that statement. It's just, it wasn't, they didn't do anything that they couldn't have done on stage, but at the same time, they did it for an audience that wasn't going to go come see them on stage. Yeah, absolutely. Here at Unwatchable, we like to give you the most thorough analysis possible. And in order to do that, I've brought in a surprise bonus guest today. She's currently earning her BFA in musical theater, and she has not only seen every movie on this list, but she has seen the staged production of every musical that we're talking about. And while Leah and I are just big fans of the musical genre, she can talk about this from the perspective of someone who is currently working odd jobs in the theater industry. She's gonna come in hot, she's gonna come in harsh, but I believe she's earned that right. Please welcome my musical muse, Fifi Rodriguez. I'm going to preface this by saying I worked on Grease for three and a half weeks last summer, and I had a wonderful experience. I could not have asked for a better crew or cast, But one of the things about working in the theater industry is that you can love your experience on a show and not like the show itself at all. Um, I don't really see the appeal of Grease in the year 2020 because it really relies heavily on nostalgia. That is the appeal of the show. Mm -hmm. For, For our parents' generation, they have the nostalgia of going to see the movie in theaters. And for our grandparents' generation, they have the nostalgia of being in high school in the 50s. But for us, I feel like there really is not anything to latch on to. And in fact, I remember myself and a lot of other young people working on the show being very uncomfortable with 
the material, actually. Because the stage version, it's a lot rougher around the edges than the movie version is. There's a lot of misogyny, a lot of racism, a lot of sexual harassment being played as a joke, and that's not really comfy for a young person in 2020. It's like the show can't really decide what perspective it wants to take about this time period, because it has these more icky elements of the 50s, but it's also very nostalgic and like, oh, wasn't this great? Um, the movie, I think, is a much more enjoyable experience for a couple of reasons. First of all, the movie is consistent about what it wants you to take away about the 50s. It is consistent in that it files off all of the edges and coats the whole thing in candy. And that's fine. They made their decision and they stuck with it. I think, actually, that the best representation of Grease is Grease Live from 2016, starring Aaron Tveit and Julianne Hough. Because that, I feel like, gets the most to the heart of what this story is trying to do. What the original stage version is trying to say is it's really, it's trying to take these, like, delinquent greaser characters and show, you know, that there's some good in them, that you can't judge people based on their appearances. But then it does so much to underwrite that message. Grease Live actually makes the characters likable. And so, and in fact, it actually makes them nicer at times than the preppy, straight-laced, 50s conformist characters. So you actually get a sense of what the writers were trying to do all along. Grease Live also just does a really good job of incorporating the best elements of both the movie and the stage version, and including some new stuff. So. Go watch Grease Live, that's the moral of this story. The stage version of Grease has a lot of potential, because one of the things it suffers from is that it has a lot of subplots that go nowhere. It just doesn't have the time to do them justice. I would actually really like to see, like, a Grease TV show. Like, I, I know Riverdale is, like, a notoriously badly written show, but I feel like something with that same, like, dark retro aesthetic would be really great for Grease, because you would actually have the time to explore those characters, and I think you would actually have the time to really evaluate what was the culture of the 50s, and what were the good things about it, and what were the more dark aspects of it. So those are my two cents on Grease. Overall, comparing the stage version to the movie, I would give the movie four out of five greased lightning bolt. It doesn't get the full five because it's grease, and I don't think any grease property will ever be a five just from the nature of what the story is. That's very biased of you. It is. <laughs> Another movie that I think was like a phenomenon when it came out is the movie Hairspray. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Which we we have to talk about. Um, Hairspray, the, the movie, came out in 2007. It was directed by Adam Shankman, and it was based off of the musical um, with music by Mark Shaman, lyrics by Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman, and a book by Mark O'Donnell and Thomas Meehan. Um, and of course, that musical was adapted from a John Waters movie that was mm -hmm. not a musical originally. 
I think I still have the DVD and I still have the soundtrack somewhere in my house. <laughs> I have the CD. I was in like the seventh grade, I believe, when mm-hmm. this came out and me and all of my friends were like so pumped about it. I know that movie like backwards and forwards. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that movie. And I've actually had the pleasure of seeing Hairspray the Musical on Broadway. Um, I believe around mm-hmm. the same time that the movie came out. I want to say I want to say it was the same year that the movie came out. So that's actually interesting. I'd actually didn't oh, realize that. So uh, Hairspray is amazing. <laughs> I would love to be Penny one day. <laughs> yes. She's like my favorite character. <laughs> she really is. She's the best. Actually, you know what? I think I might be, I think I might enjoy being Am- Amber Von Tussel just a little bit more. Oh, actually, yeah. I mean, I don't know. There's nothing more fun than like being a mean girl on stage. <laughs> <laughs> At this rate with uh, COVID, by the time uh, we're able to get back on stage, I'm going to be playing some of these people's parents. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll be more of a Velma Von Tussel. <laughs> <laughs> I think Hairspray is interesting because I like while... I think Greece has kind of stood the test of time and like mm-hmm. is still popular. I don't know if people talk about hairspray that much anymore. <laughs> At all. Yeah, which is kind of unfortunate to me. Yeah. I, I personally like really enjoy this movie. I know there are some differences in the musical. I know that they've cut like Mama I'm a Big Girl Now, uh, Cooties. There's like some more I would say campy songs uh-huh, that kind of yeah. got cut. Um, and uh, hold on, I, I need to look it up real quick. I don't know if they added any songs. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> my sister's filling me. <laughs> I have my expert here. Oh, gotcha. Okay, according to my expert, which is my sister who's sitting right here, <laughs> apparently they were going to put in an original song and then they cut it because, uh... It, it didn't fit in with the tone of the yeah. Yeah. overall it, it musical. Yeah, it very much contradicted the rest of Tracy's characterization. Yeah, which I, yeah, I, I do respect that decision, because they could have gone for that original song Oscar, and <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> Good, thank God. Um, I think the casting says a lot about their respect for mm-hmm. musical theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I really enjoy the cast of this movie a lot. Like, yeah. there's... There's no one in this that I look and I'm like, ugh, they just wanted this person to be in it. Like, I honestly think that they all fit their parts really well. I agree. I agree. I remember at the time, at the time hearing that Amanda Bynes was going to be in it and not really, because she does, she's not one of those, she wasn't one of those Nickelodeon or Disney stars that really, as far as I'm, as far as I remember, she didn't really like come out with an album. She never had kind of been out as a singer. So Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, like, why is Amanda Bynes going to be in this? But I think that she did a good job. You know, I was a little bit skeptical. I think that was probably the only person in the cast that I was a little bit skeptical about. But then I think that she did a good job with her character. Uh, I think she did at the time. Um, And then I also did really like them having, uh, even though they had huge names, you know, John Travolta, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, Zac Efron, who was the icon of that time, yeah. But I like that while they had those huge names in it, they did have Tracy, the main, the main character, as a newcomer. I really did like that. Um, yeah. You know, have you, have you ever seen her Twitter lately, though? Woo! 
who Nikki Blonsky is? Yeah. I have not. <laughs> she, I, you know what? No shade, girl. She's, you know, she's cute. But yeah, every tweet, she'll usually tweet somebody, hi, it's Nikki Blonsky from Hairspray. Oh, no. <laughs> and she has a Cameo account. Um, which I don't know if you're familiar with Cameo, but yeah. it's like, yeah. It's, hi, hi, Chloe, it's Nikki Bonsi from Hairspray, I just hope you're having a great day. So she, she's riding the Hairspray train, baby. Oh, no. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, I guess you gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> I do that, you know, and that is one of those things where, uh, when you mention, you know, how Grease has stood the test of time, whereas Hairspray, it's kind of like we don't hear about it anymore, I'm like, ooh, that's like... Again, no shade, love you girl, but that was kind of, it It kind of shows that a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I completely, and then I'm actually like just looking at them right now, like the, the cast, and I'm just like, I love all of you. Like Queen Latifah, amazing. Oh, Taylor Taylor Queen Parks, Latifah. Taylor Parks, who is an amazing songwriter, as little Inez, like that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do like that they have Ricky Lake in it, because she was Tracy in the original, um... In the original movie. The original yeah, movie. I love that. Mm-hmm. That's something that I, I really enjoy that they did. Um, and something else that makes me seem like they genuinely like did want to pay homage to, yes. to the musical. Um, is they do have a lot of great cameos. They have Ricky Lake. They have Mark Shaman, the co-lyricist and, and writer, as a cameo in there. Um, even John Waters too. Yeah, even John, John Waters, Waters too, which I actually didn't realize until I was looking at this again. So wow, that's awesome. Yeah, that's, and I will say like because you know so for me so much part of uh, musical theaters is of course the music and the performance, but it's also the visuals and the set. And I remember seeing mm-hmm. Hairspray on Broadway, and it's just like it's the colors are so captivating, and it's like it's glitter and it's. A, and it's glam and it's exciting. And I think that they did that with the movie. I think that like the color scheme and the way it was shot was, I think that it definitely brought that same feeling. Like uh, Welcome to the 60s. It's just like beautiful. Like the way that, that that number is directed specifically, like how it starts off like kind of, kind of like monochromatic and like mm-hmm, a little bit mm-hmm. dark and then it just like gets progressively brighter like once they go to Mr. Pinky's store and she gets that makeover and then they all dance like in the street I think like I I love that I think it's like so well directed in that moment and it gets like brighter and brighter there's certain musical numbers in this that I think they did like really well and another thing I love that often gets cut in movie adaptations mm-hmm. uh, is dance numbers. And I do appreciate that they kept that in. Like, um, I agree with that I for sure. I forget what it's called. Yeah. yeah, Run and Tell That. That's a great dance number. Also the one, um, Big Blonde and Beautiful, the one that Queen Latifah sings. Yes. There's a great dance number in that. I love that they kept that in. I think you do get the full musical experience from the movie no I I completely agree and then you know and then we kind of get to talking about like did they do things in the movie in the musical movie that they couldn't do in the musical and that you know coming from someone who's like you know seeing the stage show on Broadway too like where like they were doing it all I do think they were kind of able to do some things that they weren't because um the number I mean and it's iconic that they do this in the stage show but like the Good Morning Baltimore you know, mm-hmm. like she wake she wakes up in bed and in the stage show, 
it's actually like a stand up. I wish, you know, this is very hard to like articulate over just speaking, but um, it's like a stand up bed where she's, she's basically against a wall that's made to look like a bed, you know? And mm-hmm. it's cool. It's cool that they do that, but it's like, okay, like you can only do so much on stage. So yeah. I do think that um, in the movie they were kind of able to do just like, you know, a little bit more and same thing with, you know, like the Corny Collins show and all that stuff. They were really able to, they were really able to make it look like a set as opposed to, like, mm-hmm. a set a set on a set on a stage, you know? So, yeah. just this, like, you know, going off of just what they were, what you're able to do with, you know, a certain amount of stage space versus a multi-million dollar movie set, so. Yeah, like, they're able to make the larger numbers much larger than you can fit on a stage. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the whole protest, like, yeah. when they're showing them walking down the street uh, and Queen Latifah gets that. Um, uh, I love that number. Um, I don't know why I'm forgetting all the names of these songs. Uh, I know where the... I've been. <laughs> yes. She yes. Sounds, which is so amazing. Queen Latifah sounds so great in that number. Um, She's incredible. She's incredible. And you're able to get like the large scope of what they're doing. Cause they're able to show like this huge crowd walking down the streets of Baltimore. You're able yeah. to show like, they're able to make, like, the, like, when the police show up and, like, everyone has to scatter, like, they are able to build more of a sense of urgency in that mm-hmm. than I think Absolutely. they can I agree. on the stage. Um, so I, I do think a lot of it was benefited by turning mm-hmm. this into a movie. So I would say that it was, it, it does seem like you are getting the musical experience and a little bit more by, by turning it into a film. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I would say my only thing about this movie, which, I mean, I, you know, I love this movie. I'm a musical person. I think that what we were talking about with it not really standing as, like, a timeless movie the way Grease does is that while they, you know, while they did have, like, those amazing visuals and all those things, I feel like it was... I don't think that cheesy is the right word. Mm-hmm. It's just, it was very, I feel like Grease stood alone as a movie with music in it. And so it was very, Grease was very appealing to people that weren't super deep into musical theater. I don't really think that Hairspray has that element. I think that Hairspray, mm-hmm. you know, just the way that, the way that it was adapted into the movie is great for people who love musical theater. It's great for people who love that musical and other than that, kids. I don't think that... I do think that it definitely has a little bit of that kind of... Kind of just... I don't know. Can you think of the word? Do, do you know what word I'm looking for here? <laughs> well, I think... Um, I think the storyline of Grease is a lot more relatable. Like, mm-hmm. it's interesting because Grease and Hairspray are both... Like, they're, they're both, like, period shows. Like, mm-hmm. Grease is from the 50s, and Hairspray is the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Grease's message is something that is more timeless. Like Yeah, it, that's true. It, that's true as well. It's overall, like, about friendship and romance and, like, finding out who you are. And there is elements of that in Hairspray, 
But also, like, the whole story arc about, like, the civil rights movement is mm-hmm. very specific yeah. to that time period. I think just the message of Greece like, resonates with people a, a little bit more than Harris yeah. does, probably. Or at least it's portrayed in a more relatable way uh, than it is in Hairspray. That's, that's why I think it probably isn't a show that stands out mm-hmm. to non-musical theater people as much. Yeah, I agree. And then I think just... Um... Because, yes, they, they definitely touch on, like, some very heavy, very important topics. But I just do think, I think, you know what, I think I know what I wanted to say is that I'm sure you've been told in performing musicals that kind of musicals, everything's a little bit exaggerated. Mm-hmm. I think that the movie kind of has that sense of a stage show where things are exaggerated. The, mm-hmm. As far as the acting and the performing. And I love that. I live for that stuff. But, uh... I do think in something like Greece, it was a little bit more scaled down. Uh, yeah. So Absolutely. it was more, I think, and I think that's why one reason why maybe like we like Hairspray so much is because it really is like watching a musical, but it's a movie. Yeah. But it's like because of those like very exaggerated characters, very just out there, bright colors and everything, which I just said that I loved because I love them. But I do think that it's just some of it's very in your face for some people seeing it in a movie as opposed to, you know, on stage, you know, up in the nosebleeds, so. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely very, very musical theater-centric, more more so than some of these other adaptations, I think, so. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, here with her thoughts on Hairspray, my musical muse, Fifi Rodriguez. So Hairspray is another stage-to-screen adaptation where I actually prefer the movie version more. And I think it uses film to expand and heighten the story in ways that just aren't possible on stage. One of the ways it does this is through through using non-literal visuals. And what I mean by that is during Welcome to the 60s, there there's this wonderful thing that happens throughout the number where this this girl group that Tracy and Edna are watching on the TV starts to like follow them throughout the city, appearing on posters and billboards and singing at them. And that's a really great moment. And it really, it helps with the dreamlike feeling of the sequence because the whole musical number is basically just a dream come true for them. It executes that feeling in a way that you obviously can't do on stage. With I Can Hear the Bells and also with I Know Where I've Been, the movie is able to reframe them in more exciting settings because both of those songs are a little bit Park and Bark in the stage version. For those who don't know, Park and Bark is basically where the actor stands in one place and belts out their song. Not a lot of dancing, there's not a lot of blocking. And it's great because that's like the optimum position for great singing but it's not visually great for the audience. So this movie is really able to have the best of both worlds because it gives the audience just such a visual feast during those scenes. But since everything is pre-recorded, you still get those top-notch vocals. I think this movie shows a lot of respect for the theater genre. Um, As you talked about earlier, Chloe, there was going to be an original song in this movie called I Can Wait. That was, it was a ballad, so of course they were vying for that Best Original Song Oscar. And you can watch this in the deleted scenes on the DVD. But when they, what they talk about when they introduce that deleted scene is that 
that song ultimately contradicts a lot of Tracy's character. And so ultimately, they threw it out because it didn't fit. And I really respect that. They prioritized the story and the characters over their Oscar. And really just the use of Nikki Blonsky in general, I think, is a really big testament to that. They didn't go for a star, they went for someone who had the chops to fit the role. One of the biggest differences between this movie and the stage version, structurally there are some differences. I think the plot flows a lot smoother in the movie. Um, but really, the, the stage version is still holding on to a lot of that John Waters camp. You have Harvey Firestein as Edna doing his Harvey Firestein, like, frog voice that's very distracting to listen to. Um, I think the movie is really committed to telling a civil rights story in some ways a lot more than the original movie was, and because of this, they sanded off a lot of that campy a lot of those campy edges that would have been really distracting for the audience. So I would give Hairspray five out of five cans of Hairspray. Well, I think that's a great segue into our next movie that we want to talk about, uh, which is Mamma Mia. Yes! To me, casting is a huge part of Mamma Mia. Uh, yes, I agree there. I agree there. And I, I wonder if we're on the same wave or the or the opposite wave, so we're going to see. <laughs> but uh, This will be interesting. Uh, so Mamma Mia came out in 2008. It was directed by, and I'm hopefully I'm not going to butcher this name, but Philida Lloyd. Um, and obviously the music and lyrics are from... ABBA songs. Yes. And the, the book was written for the musical by Katherine Johnson. Mm-hmm. So, Mamma Mia is probably looking at the list of things we're going to talk about. Mamma Mia does stand out in the fact that it is the only jukebox musical. Mm-hmm. Um, it, for, for the listeners who don't know, uh, a jukebox musical is essentially when a musical is written around pre-existing music. Um and a regular musical, the music and lyrics are written for the show itself. So obviously Mamma Mia is a jukebox musical that was written around uh, ABBA songs. And I love ABBA. Mm-hmm. So, yes. so I do enjoy the experience of watching Mamma Mia purely for the music. Um, but yeah, I, I'm interested to, to hear your initial thoughts on this movie. Okay, so honestly, my initial thoughts are I absolutely love this movie. I absolutely love this movie. I think it's just, it makes you just feel g- great. I love Meryl Streep as Donna. I think that she did an amazing job. I think that she looks gorgeous. Um, I love her friends as well. Um, I think I think the movie's really good. Um, and I think that the musical, which I'm not as familiar with, but um, like the actual stage show, I have seen it, but it's been a while. I mean, this is, this is a... This entire concept is campy as hell. It's campy as hell. It's ridiculous. You know, on the stage, we have people tap dancing in, um, you know, uh, what are those things called? The the fins that you swim in? Oh, oh. The, like, scuba fins? Yeah, like, we have, yeah, we have dudes tap dancing in scuba fins on the stage musical. So we know that this musical is beautifully ridiculous. 
Mm -hmm. Um, it's, I mean, it's ABBA, which like, they're amazing, but you know, it's like, it's, it's, you know, it's disco. It's, it's not, this isn't a very, this is a feel good musical. This isn't, you go in to get this some kind of, you know, deep (laughs) message and something like that, you know, something, something like, you know, uh, which, you know, we'll probably talk about next time, something like Brent, where there's a very deep social message there. Mm -hmm. The location was just stunning in the movie. Mm -hmm. It's stunning. Like I need to go there today. Uh, which again is something that maybe we can't get in the stage musical. So <laughs> that's my initial thoughts on it. I, I definitely go hard for the movie. Um, for sure. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm going to break your heart just a little bit. Oh no, here we go. It's okay. <laughs> well, okay. First off, I do want to preface this by saying I have not seen the staged version of Mamma Mia. So it is very hard for me to compare the staged version to the movie. Um, as far as like any changes that they've made. Um, I do agree with you that the, the overall, like the landscape of mm-hmm. Greece and like this Island that they're on is something that we definitely can't get from the staged show. Um, and it, the movie looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my biggest gripe with this movie is, uh, it doesn't sound as beautiful as I would want it to. You know I, what? I, I, yeah. I, I agree with you. I think, um, I think when I'm looking at this cast list, Meryl Streep is not like the, the worst one to me. Like I, I think if everyone else in the movie had been like top notch, mm-hmm. I would be like, okay, Meryl Streep's maybe like a little bit of a weak point. But when I'm comparing her to the other people in this movie, I'm like, okay, she definitely holds her own compared to some of the other people. <laughs> okay, okay, you know what? This is fair. This is this is fair. This is definitely fair. Absolutely. Uh, I feel like it was casted in regards to who is the biggest name. Mm-hmm. Who, like, who are people going to go crazy for, like, seeing in this film? And I think no one sums this up more than uh, the casting of Pierce Brosnan <laughs> as Sam Carmichael. Uh, he is notoriously bad in this movie. Um, and I, I don't think the other dads are that good either. Uh, Colin Firth or Stellan Skarsgård. Uh I I don't think I, they are particularly good singers either. Uh, and those are three of the big names in this movie. Okay, so the fact <laughs> the fact that the men in this movie were so forgettable that when I'm gushing about this stuff because I'm lit- I'm gushing about this whole movie, but I'm not even like remembering that men are even in the movie because they're that forgettable. Like that. That's like the whole point of the movie. Yeah, like I, I'm literally like, and yeah, that's that's like this the storyline. But I'm like, I'm not even think like they're they really are just like you know wallpaper in this movie. So I actually I agree with you there. You know, if we're gonna get down and dirty with it, I agree with you there. Um, I just think the movie as a whole, and and you know what, it it might just come down to like I you know I love seeing you know like an older woman or an older actress just, like, being, like, just very sexy and desired and things like that. Like, I think that that was, like, something that I loved. And, you know, I think that Meryl Streep did a great job of that. I mean, she's stunning. But, um, yeah, I definitely agree with you there, you know, as far as, uh, you know, uh, vocal cloud is concerned. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Woo! I think the 
women in this movie are not that bad. I I actually enjoy Amanda Seyfried in this yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, I think her voice is good for like this type of mm-hmm. of singing. Like Honey Honey, I think is a great number. Uh, Meryl Streep singing uh, "Slipping Through My Fingers" mm-hmm. I think is probably vocally like one of the better numbers. And uh, Christine Baranski is like a, I feel like she is like an icon in mm-hmm. anything she does. Yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah. she she probably has like the most she probably has like the most uh, experience as like a vocal performer out of anyone else in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No one else in this movie is really, like, a musical theater person. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I don't necessarily know what would stop... Like, if I'm here for the for the ABBA music, and the musical performances aren't that great, why wouldn't I just listen to ABBA, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the regular songs? Like, why would I listen to the soundtrack for this movie over... Like the actual, like the original music is kind mm-hmm. of how I question things. And to be fair, I haven't seen the actual staged production of this, and I'm sure there's a lot of like different casts that I would love to listen to, like the Absolutely, soundtrack for. Yeah. Um, but comparing it purely to the movie, I just don't really. Aside from the visuals, I don't really know if I'm getting a performance that I would choose over seeing either the staged version with professional Broadway performers or ABBA themselves. Like Absolutely. The people. So, I don't know. Yeah, I can see that. I think that this definitely um, stands more as, I think it's a, a great movie. Um, a great, and I, and I, and I want to say it's like, it's one of those like campy feel good movies. Like it's not really like a serious movie. Like it's definitely mm-hmm. a movie that you watch like coming home you know, on the six-hour flight, you know, like, something like that. I don't necessarily think it's a good movie. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't, like, it's weird for me because I've seen this movie multiple times and, like, I maintain that I don't like it, but I still kind of enjoy watching it for some reason. And I have no idea why. (laughs) Is it one of those, like, guilty pleasure movies for me or something? Like, I don't even, like, it's... guess. I don't know. It's like, just... I'm watching it, and I'm like, this is objectively bad. Like, it's cheesy. <laughs> like, it's not that great. But then I, like, still, like, if someone was like, do you want to watch it? I'd be like, sure. <laughs> for me, it just, it just, for some something about this movie, and it might just be, like, the, the gorgeous landscape and the colors and everything, something about this movie just makes me feel good, you know? Like, mm-hmm. and I definitely agree with you. It's not, like, it's not the best performance. A lot of the... Once again, I'm sorry to sound this way. A lot of the uh, male performances were very forgettable. But something about this movie just makes me feel good. And that, it might just, it might just be the power of ABBA. It might be. True. It might just be the ABBA sorcery, but I don't know. (laughs) Like, something about this movie just makes me feel good. All that aside, I kind of want to watch it now. (laughs) Like... And, like, the thing is, like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, there's nothing wrong with being like, you know, I don't know what it is. I just like it. Like, <laughs> yeah. the, that's the great thing about, I mean, anything in ge- any kind of content in general. There's absolutely nothing wrong with being like, you know what? I don't even know why I like it. I just do. And yeah. <laughs> like, maybe that's just, maybe that's just how Mamma Mia is. It's like, I shouldn't enjoy this. But whatever, like, I guess I'll just have to accept it. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't even necessarily say this is a good adaptation. 
but I do understand why people enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, voulez-vous, I love that number in the movie, though. It's very hot. Yeah. <laughs> there, there is some good dancing, I, I do have to say. I do like, um, I forget, maybe it is voulez-vous. I don't remember which number it is, but when all the men are, like, dancing and jumping off the pier, mm-hmm. like, that's pretty interesting because you can't really do that in the staged production. Yeah. There, there are some moments where I'm like, okay, visually, it is very good. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, with her thoughts on the adaptation of Mamma Mia, once again, my musical muse, Fifi Rodriguez. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm glad I have my will host me running directly into a wall. So, my notes on this are titled, Mamma Mia, What's the Point? If you make a jukebox musical... There's always the risk, as you said, of the audience wondering, well, why don't I just go home and listen to ABBA instead? If you make a jukebox musical, you have to A, have a really good story, or B, do something really good with the music. That could be having amazing vocalists or interesting new arrangements for the songs. Mamma Mia does neither of those things. The plot is notoriously nonsensical and the music in this movie really isn't very good either the most adventurous thing that they do with the music is turn a few songs into duets not that interesting you you really would be better off just going and listen to listening to abba movie audiences in general i think have different expectations than theater audiences do Because in theater, there is something called the contract with the audience. The the playwright and the actors, everyone involved, helps to lay out the rules with the audience of what to expect and how your musical universe works. In film, the contract is a lot more realistic. You can see this in the sets. Film sets tend to have this realism and this detail to them, whereas theater sets are a lot more stylized and abstract. And if you saw a movie that had a theater style set in it, you would, it would look weird. It would look weird and bad. Mamma Mia is, I think, the kind of story that a theater audience is willing to accept. They're able to accept that contract. I'm not sure that a film audience really is. So I would give Mamma Mia Two out of five possible dads. (laughs) Let's move on to a musical that is very different from all the other ones we've been talking about. Um, And that is Sweeney Todd. Mm -hmm. This movie came out in 2007. It was directed by Tim Burton. Um... The music and lyrics were done by Stephen Sondheim for the original musical production, and the book for the musical was written by Hugh Wheeler. Sweeney Todd is different from all of these other musicals we talked about. A, because it's so incredibly dark and just like... Tonally is so different, mm-hmm. um, but also because it is a Sondheim musical, 
And I think uh, as far as like the musical theater world goes, I think uh, I think people who are involved in musical theater probably ha- like hold Sweeney Todd in higher acclaim than they they would uh, Hairspray, Mamma Mia, or Grease. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sondheim is just a I he's personally my favorite arguably the best composer and lyricist of the time this was a great one to save for like our last musical because it is so much bigger I think than the other ones that we've talked about so far see you know what that's so interesting to me that you say that it's bigger which is I think it definitely is bigger in the sense of like respect music wise yeah but like I feel like it was not as well. It was not as well known when it came well, out. Yeah, the movie definitely. But as far as like uh, people who are super into musical, theater, yeah, I think. yeah. I don't know how I feel about this movie. Mm-hmm. I I don't know how I feel about this movie. Um, I you know I will say that as I was saying with something like Greece, I do think that this movie was important because a lot of people had never heard of this musical. Um, and it's a very interesting musical. It's a very interesting storyline. It has incredible music. And I think that this definitely brought this type of musical more to the forefront. And I think that that's really important. And then having like these huge names, you know, Tim Burton directing it and Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter. That was great. I don't know how I feel about this movie. I, I mm-hmm. just, I'm not, I feel like the stage show is very captivating. It's very exciting. It's very dynamic. And then just, like, even the the color scheme of this movie alone, which I get that it kind of fits the dark vibe, mm-hmm. I feel kind of, like, tired halfway through this movie every time I watch it. Yeah. It's, I just, I don't dislike it, but I just, I never really kind of got that into this movie. Like, I didn't love this movie that much. I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't yeah. want to say that it was bad. It's just... I'll say I don't it. know. <laughs> <laughs> You'll say it. <laughs> to me, uh, well, okay. So I have seen the staged production of Sweeney Todd. Mm-hmm. I've, I've always been a huge fan of the music. I, I'm a huge fan of like the like dark and creepy yeah. and like I love like horror and this is kind of like a slasher musical, which yeah. is very unusual. Um. So I'm a huge fan of Sweeney Todd coming, like, right out of the gate. Um, I don't think this is actually a good movie, even for someone... (laughs) Well, even for someone who loves this musical, it was so hard for me to to pay attention to the movie. Completely. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, it's like my brain, I I get, like, the the smooth brain. Like, I'm watching it, and I'm just like... (laughs) Yeah. I was like an hour in and I paused it and I was like, oh, we still got an hour left to go. This movie is exhausting to watch. (laughs) I think the way Tim Burton directed this movie was wrong for a musical piece. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree there. I feel like he was directing a movie and then like at some points was like, oh yeah, we got to shove in this musical number basically like yeah. I don't think he directed it as a musical uh and I think that's what works to its detriment um it's I don't even know where to start I guess um 
I, let's start with the casting since that's something that we've been talking about a lot. I have a hard time with uh, Helena Bonham Carter as Mrs. Lovett and uh-huh. Johnny Depp as Sweeney Todd. Um, and I think for different reasons. Yeah. Um, because to me, to me, everyone else in this movie can kind of hold their own. I think, um, I think in particular, uh, Jamie Campbell Bower as Anthony. I mm-hmm. think he has a great voice. Um, I think Sasha Baron Cohen as uh, Pirelli. I think he actually does a really great job in this role. Um, and he's not really a stranger to broad characters. Yeah, so I, yeah. I think that's why it works. Um, and even Alan Rickman, when he has to sing, he sings a little bit of uh, Pretty Women. I even he's not really known for singing, and I, I think he can actually like carry that song pretty. No, well. I think that he. I think I think he was cast well as well. I think mm-hmm. he. I think he definitely fit that role. But yeah, I agree with you. I mean, and it's like when we can go on with you know Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter. Like it's like oh, it's a Tim Burton movie, one of them has to be in it. You know? That alone, while they are both talented actors, it's just like, oh, okay, so are they in these roles because they fit them or because it's a Tim Burton movie? You know? Exactly. Uh, I definitely see Johnny Depp as Sweeney Todd more than I see Helena Bonham Carter as Mrs. Lovett. I will say that. I think that, you know, Johnny Depp, did all right as just yeah mm-hmm. Helena Bonham Carter she, she's awesome but she's just she's not Mrs. Lovett to me you know like she just yeah. she isn't I think that's uh, a big problem I have is so Johnny Depp I think I think he he does have so much experience playing like the like I guess to quote Beetlejuice like the strange and unusual um, yeah. That, like, you wouldn't immediately be like, oh, that's weird for him to be Sweeney Todd. Like, he does fit that kind of character style. Um, but I I think he doesn't seem that confident in the role. Like, Yeah, I can see that, actually. I really can see that. I think vocally he's just not that strong. Mm-hmm. I do think, um, I do think there are some numbers that he sounds good in, um, Again, I think I think the musical number he has with Alan Rickman, Pretty Women, I think he actually does sound pretty good vocally there. And anything that's like a little bit more of like a ballad or a little bit softer, I think he's actually good at. Um, but then when it comes to like the larger numbers for mm-hmm. him, I don't think he can really vocally get there. Um, which might be okay if like it sounded like it was supposed to be like that, but it just sounds like he wasn't very confident. In yeah, it. it's a, yeah, I agree with that. And I actually think that that scene, the Pretty Women scene with Alan Rickman and Johnny Depp is probably one of the best scenes in the film. Oh, yeah. I will say absolutely. that's probably one of the best ones. And having heard you say that, yeah, I agree with you. I don't know that I completely... Because I'm sorry, Sweeney Todd is... He's a badass. You know, mm-hmm. Sweeney Todd is a very, like... I don't really buy, I mean, not that Johnny Depp can't play a badass, I mean, you know, read Pirates of the Caribbean, that kind of thing, but I don't know that I buy Johnny Depp as this um, exiled man who comes back just with this, like, very calculated but raging revenge on this entire town. I don't know (laughs) that I, I don't really know that I buy Johnny Depp as that, you know, in the movie, he's... He almost seems, and I know that um, Sweeney Todd is, he's very, you know, calculated in what he's doing Mm -hmm. and stuff, but 
Johnny Depp saying he's almost like soft spoken. Yeah, I don't know. And then I and then I kind of just felt like Helena Bonham Carter played Mrs. Lovett the way that she uh, played the way that she played her role in Harry Potter, mm-hmm. like the same way. And I feel like even like the hair and stuff too was very similar. And I'm <laughs> yes, like, she does look just like Bellatrix <laughs> Lestrange. Yes, Bellatrix Lestrange. <laughs> Actually, I, I would say she's probably even more menacing in Harry Potter than she even is in Sweeney Todd as someone who bakes people into pies right? and, like, yes, people eat them. I think, um, I think out of everyone, she's probably the most miscast. I think mm-hmm. she can carry a tune, but I don't think she's, like, vocally strong enough to play Mrs. Lovett. Like, Mrs. Lovett is, like, a strong alto role. Yeah, and, like, it's... And as an alto, I love that. Yes, because it's always the sopranos who are getting the lead roles. So when I see Sweeney Todd, I'm like, hell yeah, like a strong, like, alto getting a big part. And she's really not, like, Helena Bonham Carter is really not that. Um, Mm -hmm. She sounds decent in By the Sea because that song is a little bit higher. Um, But in everything else, she's just not that vocally strong. I don't know. She doesn't seem as calculating as her character should be. Like she's, she's almost too soft in this for me. Both um, of them. Both of them are. Most of the other casting, the casting for the other roles was decent. You know, like I don't really have any complaints about it. Um, you know, no Joanna. I mean, that's not really a name that I even recognize. Uh, same thing with uh, Anthony at the time, and uh, even like uh, Ed Sanders, the little boy. I think he did a pretty good job. Uh, oh, I don't really yeah, have. I don't really have any complaints about the rest of the casting. I think it was all pretty good, albeit maybe a little bit forgettable because the pacing of the movie is just awful. Uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think a lot of times, Tim Burton movies can mistake. Uh, I think often his movies mistake being emotionless for being intense, and. I, <laughs> I think that was a big part of this because I think a lot of the performances almost seem emotionless Mm -hmm. and that doesn't build the tension. Like, that was my main note when I was watching this. The most tension that I saw was the scene where, like, he's made his first kill and the guy's hand is, like, sticking out of the trunk Mm -hmm. uh, and that little kid comes back and he's, like, trying to make sure he doesn't see it. Like, to me, that had the most tension to it. Um... And I don't think there's that much tension in all the other scenes, which sucks because, like, in a horror or, like, a slasher, all of it is, like, like that's the whole point of the movie is, like, yeah, build tension, yeah, build I tension, agree. build tension, and then diffuse that tension with a scare or a fake-out scare. Um, and there really isn't that much of this in this movie. I agree. And you know what? It's like, I shouldn't want to fast forward a horror movie. Like, that's like where I'm at. Like, I'm just like, okay, like when is something going to happen? You know, like, like we said, the pacing of this movie is (laughs) rough to me. I just feel Mm -hmm. like it's, and you know, the, I mean, and the color, like the color scheme was very Tim Burton, but it's, to me, it's too, it's too, it's too, cause it's almost grayscale, you know, like it's not, Mm -hmm. it's like very unsaturated. It's almost too, too grayscale for me. Like, I'm like, visually just like you know like uh, like in a sensory way I'm like this like this isn't keeping my attention and then it's like the pacing and then yeah and like yeah there is no like tension in the movie like I feel like this is a movie that you you turn on and then you talk through period yeah you know and it's (laughs) just 
Oh, and I'm even, honestly, I'm even looking at, like, the movie posters and stuff, and I really don't even like the way that they advertise this either, you know, and I know that yeah. it was, what, 2006, 2008, uh, that they put this out, but I'm like, ooh, graphic, I'm sorry, no shade to the graphic designer, but shade, but, like, <laughs> I'm just not, I'm not really feeling it. Yeah, and, like, the annoying thing to me is, so, like, comparing this to the stage show, mm-hmm. like... The stage show is able to create so much more tension despite the fact that, like, there's no... Like, when you're watching a stage production, there's no change in, like, the angles that you're really getting. Like, it's all dead on. You're seeing everything in this wide scope of the stage. You're not getting Mm -hmm. a close-up on anyone's face um, to see their reactions or anything. In a stage production, they're they're relying very heavily on the lighting, the orchestra, um, mm-hmm. the the set has to be able to look, like, magnificent. Yeah. And even though it's stationary. And you would think that in a movie it would be easier to create that tension because you can have, you know, more, like, more uh, effects that are, like, close up and easier to see. And you get to like zoom in on a character's face and like really see their like intense reaction to something um Mm -hmm. you can like change like camera angles more uh and rely on like what's not being shown what is being shown to create that tension and they're not really doing that and everything seems very flat and like emotionless it, it doesn't feel like you're getting the whole experience of the musical because it just doesn't feel like they put in the effort for it. It's not dynamic at all. Like, it just it just isn't dynamic. Like, I can watch on YouTube on, like, a tiny, like, a screen this big on my phone, you know, a musical number um, for Sweeney, of Sweeney Todd, you know, like, either, like, a London cast or even just, like, a dope community theater, you know? It doesn't even have to be professional Broadway. And it's just, like, it's so engaging and it's so dynamic, mm-hmm. like, to the point where, like, I, because I always, like, I, I love the, um, the City on Fire, like, that, like, little Mm -hmm. vocal interlude, like, that, like, just, and when that is done right, it's just, like, holy, you know, and, like, I've, like, rewound that part to just watch that part on my screen this big, like, you know, on YouTube, and then it's, like, this multi-million dollar movie with, like, acclaimed directors and actors, and it's, like, I'm bored. Yeah. I'm not, it's not engaging. It's not engaging. And I completely agree with you. Like, there's the tension. Like, it's just not... Yeah, it just... It, it falls flat. The colors are flat. The pacing is flat. The the acting. Yeah, it's just not... It's not it, you know? And it's not... You know, it's not... Hor- like, I, I want to say I... It's not awful. And I do think that, like, a movie adaptation did open up, like, that musical to bigger audiences. Because um, I remember even at the time... And I mean, I was pretty young when it came out at the time. But, like, I had never heard of Sweeney Todd before that movie came out mm-hmm. and and then I was like oh my god what is this musical you know so it definitely opened up that musical to bigger audiences I mean I said that Mamma Mia was bad but I would still watch it and I like I don't think that I would rewatch Sweeney Todd like honestly I think, no I think Mamma Mia at least like appreciated the spirit of the mm-hmm. musical yes yes and I don't think I don't think that this movie adaptation of Sweeney Todd really respects musical theater and like embraces it for what it is i think a a huge part of that is shown by them cutting the like probably like the most famous number the opening number the ballad Mm -hmm. of sweeney todd i know that tim burton cut it because he was like well you know 
film is about showing rather than telling. So, like, why have the chorus, like, sing and tell you what's going on when I can just show you? And I think, like... I think, like, again, that shows that he was purely looking at this as, like, oh, I'm directing a film rather than I'm directing a musical film. I think that if he had chosen to have, like, that big number and, like, more of a chorus and, like, chose to keep that stuff in, it would feel more like, okay, I'm watching a musical. I just happen to be watching it in film form. And I don't think he really wanted to do that. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's just the feeling that I get. And I think I found a quote from him where he says uh, he wanted to avoid the traditional approach of patches of dialogue interrupted by song. He said we didn't. Yeah, interrupted by song. That word. The, the I have nerve. A of, I have a lot of thoughts on that word. <laughs> Tim said, Burton, if you're listening to this, <laughs> I'm not okay with that. He said we didn't want it to be what I'd say was a traditional musical with a lot of dialogue and then singing. That's why we cut out a lot of the choruses and extras uh, singing and dancing down the street. Each of the characters, because a lot of them are repressed and have their emotions inside. The, the way he said this was weird. Each of the characters, because a lot of them are repressed and have their emotions inside. The music was a way to let them express their feelings. Which, true, that's the point of musical in, or music in a musical. But you can't just take out all the choruses and and ensemble members and singing and dancing because that's part of the expression of the music. Yeah, exactly. It's like, if like, are you just trying to make this into just a movie? Like, cause then just at that point, like don't even make it a musical to begin with. Yeah. Uh, that's weird. It's like he was bothered by the musical aspects of the musical. <laughs> and that's funny. Cause I'm actually reading something, uh, from that, like Sondheim actually had said about it. And he said that, uh, he uh, was almost like he was among the people worried about the movie because he said the only kind of movie I didn't like as a kid were musicals. And he said, (laughs) he said everyone who's attempted to translate a stage musical to film has underestimated the distance between the languages. That's very true. And then he said that remaking Sweeney would be risky um, and would involve major surgery. That's like kind of punny of him to say. And he says, <laughs> uh, he said, I'm hoping people will just forget what they know and enjoy the movie or not. But if they go in counting the things that are missing, they're going to be very distracted. Okay, that's fair. Absolutely. I really would love yeah. to. I wonder how he feels about the movie, though. Like, I wonder, I mean, and he might not say because, of course, he's involved in making it. But <laughs> I really wonder, like, if he was like, with this thing and of course it's behind a paywall I would love to read this it says like the ballad of Johnny Depp um yeah it's behind a paywall so won't let me read it but I really I wonder what he really thinks about it yeah I don't think this was a necessary adaptation because I don't think I think if anything it's taking away from the source material and not adding to it I guess the only thing that's added is that you get to see the bodies like slam down into yeah. the concrete, which is kind of terrible, but also kind of cool. It's kind of a little bit satisfying. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's like I said, the only, I think the only thing that, the only thing that maybe it did was, like I said, open up the idea of, and the concept and the story of Sweeney Todd to people who wouldn't have heard of it. Um, but still it's not really the best introduction to it so I hope that people that maybe watched the movie maybe liked it or didn't looked up the original Broadway show as well um yeah because you gotta experience it you gotta you gotta once again ladies and gentlemen with her thoughts on Sweeney Todd my musical muse Fifi Rodriguez Sweeney Todd 
is a musical masterpiece. It is in the musical theater genre, but it borrows very heavily from the world of opera in terms of the scope and complexity of the music. It's an epic. It's a beast. It's quite possibly the magnum opus of the greatest musical theater composer of all time. The movie really gives you no sense of how lush and thrilling the music is. It is not a musical that is really built for a film adaptation. I think there are some musicals that work really well as a film, but Sweeney Todd is, is so lush and so big that you really cannot condense that into a two-hour movie. This movie cuts out some of the most beautiful numbers from the show. The Joanna Quartet is gorgeous and show-stopping, and you only get the Beatles section of it. And his isn't even that good. It's having all those pieces come together that makes it good. You don't get the extended ending of Green Finch. That's Joanna's song that she's singing while she's talking to her bird and embroidering. And in the score, there are two different endings for that. There's the ending that she sings in the movie, and there's an ending that goes about three steps higher that really gets to show off that actress's range. The movie would have been the perfect opportunity to do that because you can record it as many times as you need to for the actress to hit that note. But this movie doesn't care about the music, so it didn't take the opportunity. A lot of the cuts made really undermine the story and the characters. For instance, um, towards the end of the show, when the beggar woman comes into Sweeney's parlor, um, there's this song that she sings, this lullaby that's a reprise of Poor Thing, which is the song that Mrs. Lovett sings towards the beginning, explaining how Sweeney's wife died. Through this reprise, you, the audience, finds out that this beggar woman is in fact Lucy, and it creates this wonderful dramatic irony because then, immediately afterwards, Sweeney storms in and kills her. You don't get that dramatic irony in the movie because they cut the song that creates the dramatic irony. Another moment I was really upset about being cut is at the end when Antony rescues Joanna from the asylum. He tries to shoot the asylum keeper, Mr. Fogg, and he can't do it. And Joanna takes the gun from him and shoots Fogg. And that's a very important moment for her character. It shows that she's not just the passive, innocent ingenue. She has a darker undercurrent to her. Sweeney Todd is actually a very funny show. Like, people do not appreciate the comedy in Sweeney Todd, but the entire Act 1 finale is Sweeney and Lovett making as many puns to each other as possible. The puns are just about the people that they're gonna kill. This movie, their Have a Little Priest, that number with all the puns, was deadpan. Like, there was no emotion, no fun to it whatsoever. Tim Burton didn't know what he was trying to adapt. You have to know your source material before you adapt it, and he clearly did not. So, my verdict on this is that I would give this negative five out of five human meat pies. You wouldn't give it a single meat pie? I would not give it a single meat pie. Not oh. even a little priest? I, <laughs> I would give a crumb for Alan Rickman. Okay. Because he does do excellently in this movie. That's fair.
So before I let you go, mm-hmm. um, I did want to ask, out of these four movies that we've talked about today, uh, which one is your, your favorite adaptation? Oh, the four, definitely Grease. Definitely Grease, I would say there for sure. Grease is mm-hmm. just, that one is just always kind of, it's going to be up there. It's going to be up there. Yeah, you can't go Love wrong. Grease. I'm very much looking forward to diving into more of these with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. This has been really, really fun. Yes, I loved it. It was super I think you've had some great insights. Thank you so much for coming on. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening, you guys. I will link all of Leah's social media and everything down below. Be sure to check her out, and I will see you guys next time on Unwatchable. Bye.